Your name is Joseph H. Dallas, and you're the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, California. As you see the flag of the Bear Flag Republic on the wall of the California State Capitol Building, you prepare to read a statement in honor of the celebration of the anniversary of California declaring independence from Mexico. My fellow Californians, it is an honor to address you today from Sacramento. Our state's wonderful history has much to celebrate. To be brief on Californian sacrifices in the war against Mexico, I have three words. Remember the Alamos. Welcome to Imagine If, the alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Brody Burton, and this is our episode on how the Texan Revolution may have spread through Mexico. The Texas Revolution, for those not versed in the history of the Lone Star State, had a history dating back to 1824 and was closed with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hildago in 1848. In the early 1820s, Mexico had led a successful revolution against Spain. Upon their victory, they had adopted a constitution very similar to the United States. Meanwhile, Moses Austin had been requesting from the Spanish territorial government that he bring in settlers from the United States to, re- to settle a region known as Te- Tejas. He continued and got permission from the Mexican government to bring 300 families. However, he died before he could bring them to Tejas, so his son, Stephen Fuller Austin, took over. After the old 300 were brought to Texas, the angelicized name of the state and region, several other settlers settled the state. By 1830, Americans, also known as the Anglos, outnumbered the Mexicans, also known as the Tejanos, 10 to 1. In that same year, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, a general, took control of Mexico and revoked the Constitution of 1824. Although he was initially widely supported, even in Texas, his policies caused revolutions to spring up in three places, the Yucatan, the Rio Grande, and Texas. These revolutions all failed except for Texas. General Santa Ana invaded Texas and massacred several hundred Texans, including Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, and others. This enraged Texans and helped led General Sam Houston to a victory in San Jacinto. The Republic of Texas was very stable in her existence from 1836 to 1845, when it was incorporated into the United States. A border dispute in South Texas led to the Mexican-American War, which led to Alta California y Nueva Mexico being incorporated into the U.S. This included all of, or parts of, the present-day states of California, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona, and the revolutions in North and South Mexico failed. The U.S. never intervened in the war, previous to the annexation of Texas. This episode explores what would have happened if the American government answered the call of one Alamo defender. Imagine, your name is William B. Travis. The date is March 3rd, 1836. You have a letter in your hand that slipped through the Mexican siege of San Antonio de Bexar, what you and your fellow Americans call the Alamo. You open it and read it aloud to Jim Bowie, sick on the bed next to you. To Mr. Travis, Mr. Bowie, and the defenders of San Antonio de Bexar, this comes from the Executive Mansion in Washington, D.C. This is Secretary of State John Forsworth, writing to you on behalf of Andrew Jackson. The American government has seen that several U.S. citizens, including former Senator Davy Crockett, are in the mission not commonly known as the Alamo. 
The President has asked Congress to declare war on the Mexican Empire, and they have conceded. We would like you to know that reinforcements are on their way, and should be there the evening of the 7th of May. Please hold out the Alamo until the time comes we can reinforce you. You look at Bowie. Do you know what this means? <coughs> yes. The President has started war with Mexico. All more of a reason for General Santa Claus to make an example of us. You laugh at the joke, and then pour your friend some medicine. You hope you can survive until the 7th. Your supplies are running out, and you expect the Alamo to fall on the 5th. You walk out of Bowie's room and gather the men in the Alamo. William Carey, a captain from Virginia, speaks first. So when do we lick the Mexicans? We're not doing any licking till the 7th. Why? The U.S. Army is coming. We have reinforcements. A roar erupted through the Alamo. You heard gunshots outside the mission, and men rushed to their places, just as Mexicans are firing practice shots. You look out with your binoculars. You can't see much, but you think you see the opposing general himself. You think, in just a few days, one, if not both of you, will be dead. The American declaration of war on Mexico shocked the world, but no one else intervened. Santa Ana engaged with the Alamo defenders on March 5th and soundly defeated them. On March 7th, the U.S. Army arrived in San Antonio, but Santa Ana had fled to the capital. He had heard that in California, the Americans were revolting and the U.S. Army was planning on paying for the revolutions throughout the country. He tried to organize a counterattack. Santa Ana met with Martin Perfecto de Cos to discuss an effective counter. They decided the Yucatan was priority number one. That way they could make the war one-fronted. Then, they would hope and pray that the U that they could beat the U.S. Army. However, Santa Ana had fatally miscalculated. The Yucatan, a rainforest, was hard for troops to move through, and over half the army died of disease en route, and a quarter left the army. With 10% of the army standing, Mexicans attacked and were destroyed by a larger Yucatanian force. Meanwhile, the revolution the revolts in California, Texas, and the Rio Grande went successfully. In 1839, Mexico recognized the independence of the four countries carved out of her land. America gained none of it. Britain began to take concern to the American power. When the British met with Jackson's successor, Martin Van Buren, both sides refused to budge on the Oregon Territory. Martin Van Buren refused to budge on the 5440 or fight, and Britain had claimed all of the territory and was not going to relent on that. In 1844, the interactions between the nations turned hot. Nations of Europe felt bad for America, especially as Mexico declared war on the U.S., as well as the Yucatan, California, Rio Grande, and Texas. France intervened and declared war on the British and the Mexicans, and Spain followed suit. Portugal joined on the British side, and Pax Britannica suddenly became Bellum Britannica. As war broke out, American forces attempted to invade Canada. The American South also revolted. The Third American War ended with the United States degenerating into New England, Delaware, the Chesapeake, Carolina, the Great Lakes Confederation, and the West Mississippi Republic. Meanwhile, a small Illinoisan religious group threatened to change the status quo. Joseph Smith, the leader of the Latter-day Saints religious group in Nauvoo, Illinois, had been in contact with Sam Houston, the president of Texas. 
Houston, friendly to the Mormons, suggested that they take part of the Mexican territory, such as Nuevo Mexico and Sonora. Smith, facing persecution in the Great Lakes Confederation, fled to the mountains. Smith personally led the Nauvoo Legion against the Mexicans. Santa Ana, with dwindling army sizes, granted independence to the Mormons. They founded the Republic of Deseret. The many new nations in North America were very loose. The British seemed like they had the continent in their grasps. In response to the threat, Houston and Smith considered forming an American confederation like the German confederation in Europe. Smith died in the Mexican Deseret War, but his successor, Brigham Young, was happy to carry the torch. Houston and Young invited the Bear Flag Republic, Republic of Rio Grande, Great Lakes Confederation, Second Republic of the Yucatan, and the West Mississippi Republic to join the American Confederation, based in Houston, Texas. In the Confederation's early days, nations across North America and South America petitioned to join. In 1849, the second wave of members was admitted. The Mexican Empire, Carolina, Chesapeake, Delaware, New England, Gran Colombia, the Peru-Bolivian Confederation, and the Brazilian Empire. Argentina and Chile refused to join. Britain, seeing her complete control of the Oregon Territory, began her expansion. Argentina and Chile controlled a region known as Patagonia, but it was primarily uncolonized. Britain began to send colonists to the region, and when a border dispute came up, Britain claimed the 40 degrees south line. The Crown Province of Patagonia gave Britain a trade monopoly on the West American nations, but Pax Britannica remained in a fragile state. Many regions, such as Lower Canada, South Africa, and India, had become rebellious states. The British refused to grant them independence and put down any rebellions with an iron fist. But other nations looked to the example of the U.S. and Spanish countries and how empires like France had been toppled. The Great Quebec Oise Rebellion of 1852 saw a complete overthrow of government in Montreal, Quebec City. The British kept pushing to retake the region, but soon the Republic of Quebec had complete control of the St. Lawrence. Then the American Union intervened with the adoption of the Monroe Doctrine into the AU Constitution. The British surrendered in 1853, with Lower Canada becoming the Republic of Quebec, who immediately joined the American Union. With the AU's victory, Chile and Argentina joined despite being bitter with the Peru-Bolivian Confederation. Central American countries also joined. Then, a delegate from Delaware proposed to add a leg onto the AU's constitution, complete removal of the British Empire from North America. This decisive anti-British leg was added and started a global movement to end Pax Britannica. King Edward was disturbed by this. He made an alliance of his own. The League of Powers was created as an alliance between the German Confederation, Portugal, France, the British, and the Ottoman Empire. The formation of this alliance, however, further the anti-British movement. The Global Confederation of Nations was formed, with the American Union, Russia, Spain, the Nordic countries, and China joining. Pax Britannica would still live on, though. Britain would force it. Queen Victoria, now Queen of Britain, was conscious of the peculiar institution in the American Union. In Europe, slavery was dead. Spain was the last country to abolish it in, in 1837, but Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, Brazil, Texas, Carolina, Chesapeake, and West Mississippi all still allowed the practice. 
Britain issued an embargo against the slave countries in January 1863. In order to not be seen as immoral against the eyes of history, every European country followed with a similar statement, even those in alliance with the American Union. Some quickly abolished it, like Peru, Bolivia, and Colombia did. Three months into the embargo, Brazil adopted it, abolished it. The American South was all that was left. As cotton began to pile up, leaders in the American Union urged their southern counterparts to do away with the practice. The following is an excerpt from a letter written by Brigham Young to Sam Houston. Mr. Houston, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers founded the great republic upon the face of this land, dedicated to freedom, justice, liberty, and equality, and above all, the notion that all men are created equal. Now, in a matter of crisis against the very one who first denied us the virtues of liberty, we have been humbled. The practice of involuntary servitude has violated the words written by Mr. Jefferson, and the error of it we must correct. Mr. Houston, as a head of state and of faith, and as a friend of the Republic of Texas, I implore you to consider the abolition of the practice. Sincerely, Brigham Young, President of the Republic of Deseret, and Prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sam Houston was persuaded to abolish slavery in Texas, although it cost him his job. Soon, much of the Deep South began to consider an end to the practice. West Mississippi held a referendum, the first of its kind. Residents of Kansas, the Indian Territory, and parts of Missouri voted to get rid of it. Missouri, the swing state in the referendum, voted to abolish slavery. West Mississippi got rid of it in January 1866 to compensate slaveholders with a new piece of legislation. The Chesapeake Republic abolished slavery as well. Carolina refused to budge on the issue. The American Union decided to hold a convention in the Republic of the Rio Grande to discuss the issue. When the AU adopted an anti-slavery leg into the Alliance's constitution, Carolina left. With Carolina out in the open, Britain would pounce. Queen Victoria saw that, with Carolina gone, sharecropping grew. The blockade on the south continued, no goods leaving for Europe. Then the queen dropped a bombshell. All embargoes would be lifted on all nations not part of the American Union. With that, Chesapeake, West Mississippi, Texas, Brazil, and Br Bolivia were forced out of the AU. Then Texas, then Mexico, the Yucatan, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, and Central American countries left the AU to form the Latin American League. Lull. The AU was falling apart. Then Britain pounced. The British cited a need for cotton as the reason to invade Carolina, Chesapeake, West Mississippi, and Texas. The British took over major ports quickly, and four southern nations' leaders fled to San Antonio to formulate a plan. Sam Houston wrote to Brigham Young in 1868. President Young, we in the South are in desperate need of help. The British have surrounded us. Please get your friends in the American Union and Latin American League to help us. Your friend, President Houston, President of the Republic of Texas. The American Union and Latin American League did join the war against the British, and it became a full world war. Robert E. Lee of the Chesapeake was a commander-in-chief of the American powers. Britain had captured South Carolina, 
which was the first priority of Lee. The British forces under George Cooley came first into combat with the American forces at Atlanta, at a city in Georgia that had been captured by the British. Cooley never went into combat. He stayed in Charleston during the Battle of Atlanta. When American powers first came into combat with the new colony of Georgia, Coley wasted no time reorganizing the government. They first met in Elliott's Mill. The Battle of Elliott's Mill resulted in the British holding the region, but the American powers had surrounded British forces and effectively cut off their supply lines, resulting in the Battle of Elliott's Mill being considered an American victory, tactically. The Siege of Atlanta ended a month after it started in November 1869. Lee led a march across Georgia, recapturing cities. Meanwhile, Coley was diverting to New Eng to make a New England campaign. However, the Americans repelled the British. Finally, the war ended in 1873. The American Union barely survived. The, the Latin American League and AU merged back together and the movement began to grow to reunite the United States. The first steps to rebuilding the U.S. came in 1875, when New England, the Great Lakes, and Delaware merged into the, into the Confederation of American States. This continued in, with the addition of the Chesapeake. However, the British remained intact. The Anglo-German alliance and its various extensions were one of the most powerful in the world. However, the American Union was growing. Hawaii joined in 1881, and Haiti joined in 1883. Then came the Caribbean Revolutions, where Spanish colonies revolted in favor of joining the United States, although it was the American Union. The AU backed them. Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Hispanic Pacific Islands were admitted into the AU. The date is May 1st, 1887. You're in the Deseret Capitol building in Salt Lake City. Your name is John Taylor. You're on a podium with the Deseret Supreme Court. You were up here a few days ago for the funeral of Brigham Young. Now you've taken an oath of office and prepared to give a speech. You're now the president of Deseret. Before I begin my address, I would like to thank the Deseret Supreme Court, Congress of Deseret, and Young family for their help at the funeral of the late President Brigham Young. I am grateful to everyone in the government and in the church. However, it is time we fix the problems of our past. Slavery and polygamy are dead, and the former United States is rebuilding. I see it as the duty of this country, modeled after the United States, of the population of American citizens to continue the resurrection of the eagle. I am the third president of the Republic of Deseret, and I intend to be the last. A wild cheer erupts in the northern Deseret State House, but then you continue. I do not state this without merit. A hush falls over the audience of legislators and Salt Lake City citizens. I, in recent months, have been in contact with the governments of California, Texas, West Mississippi, Canada, and Mexico, and we have agreed it is in our best interest to do such a merger. Now, as I see all the legislators in attendance, I call for a vote to allow the Confederation of American States to fully annex the territory of Deseret. All in favor, say aye. Forty-three of the legislators voted in favor. All opposed, say nay.
seven of the legislators voted against it. It has been made official. We are all Americans. A wild roar goes through the crowd. The 1887 expansion of the Confederation. With it, the Confederation renamed herself Terra Libra. In 1891, Carolina and Quebec joined. In 1900, the American Union was absorbed by the Terra Libra government under President Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt was highly influential in policy, strengthening ties with what had been a busy international community. The, while the Confederation of American States became Terra Libra and had grown in the Americas, a Cold War in Europe was still in the same position. Germany had unified, but a war had nearly broken out over Prussian-Austrian dominance, which caused Frankfurt, neutral ground, to be selected as the capital. The German unification scared the Netherlands, Belgium, and Nordic countries into the fold of the coalition. Spain had also ditched the anti-British alliance after the American Union had supported Cuban and Puerto Rican rebels. This isolated Terra Libra. They needed allies, so they resorted to the French and the Ottomans, who ditched the British for the Americans, Chinese, and the Russians. But now unified Italy also joined the alliance, the United Nations. Queen Victoria died in 1901, and her successor, King Edward VII, was not going to be passed up by his nation's former colonies. He kept Patagonia, India, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand, and Hong Kong in an iron-like grasp. Then he made the potentially worst decision in British military history, invading Japan. When the Anglo-Japanese War began in 1903, the British were the most powerful nation on Earth, and Japan had the greatest navy in Asia. When Britain began their invasion, the Japanese crushed them. Then China entered the war and retook Hong Kong. The Asian conflict inspired rebellions throughout the British colonies, and the British Empire surrendered in 1907 to Japan, China in 1908, and gave all of her colonies independence in 1910. The War of Humiliation ended the Second British Empire. Their last holding off of Great Britain was Ireland. Even there, a rebel movement had been growing. The Spanish and Portuguese, too, were in decline. The Cold War of Pax Britannica ended with the German Empire, the most powerful nation in the weak alliance. The League of Powers dissolved in 1913. Robert M. Lafollette, the president in 1913, invited the British, Spanish, Portuguese, Germans, and Nordic countries into the UN. The UN enveloped the world. Terra Libra was among the most powerful nations. However, Europe did not like being swept side stage. The 1916 influenza pandemic would affect this drastically. David Lloyd George was elected Prime Minister of Britain in 1922 and made drastic reform, including leaving the UN. The organization he formed was the European Association, a European group dedicated to keeping Europe the most powerful continent on the planet. France followed suit in 1924, joining the European Association. Switzerland, the Nordic countries, Iberia, and Italy had all joined by 1930. Then China pulled out of the UN. This triggered a collapse in global equity, creating the Grand Depression. The 1930s depression resulted in the election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He instituted reform in Terra Libra that allowed America to stay dominant. However, not all was well. 
Germany at the center of the fallen continent, elected a madman as their president. He unified Europe under his name, Adolf Hitler. Hitler did much from Frankfurt. All of it bad. He created a system of putting non-Europeans in concentration camps. He was widely regarded as the most evil man in the world, even within his own nation. Then Hitler did the unthinkable. He invaded the Ottoman Empire and Russia at the same time. As the European army marched triumphantly into St. Petersburg and Istanbul, the Americans considered attacking. The UN declared Hitler's empire a threat to international peace and liberty. They declared war in 1940. As President William L. M. King entered the White House, he appointed Dwight D. Eisenhower commander of the Terra Libre forces in Europe. Eisenhower's plan was simple. The Russians and Ottomans would receive support from the old world members of the UN, and the American forces would take out the British Isles and Iceland first. Then a joint army of Americans and British rebels would invade Normandy and Norway. Then the Russians and Ottomans would go on the offensive. The African would invade the southern Mediterranean, and the European Empire would come to an end. However, as Eisenhower invaded Rezhivak in 1941, Japan left the UN, followed by India. The UN seemed to be on the losing end of the Great World War. General Dwight D. Eisenhower walks out of his tent in Douglas on the Isle of Man. British resistance forces led by Winston Churchill took back the Isle of Man as well as Ireland, Wales, and Cornwall. Today, Eisenhower is meeting with the resistance leader to discuss his strategy on how to retake control of the British Isles, the gateway to Europe. The current lines leaving Manchester and Birmingham on the European side of the lines, with Liverpool being the only major city in the hands of UN forces. It's the summer of 1942, and UN forces have invaded northern Scotland. As Churchill steps off his bow onto the Isle of Man, Eisenhower rushes to greet him. Mr. Churchill, pleased to meet you. General Eisenhower, the pleasure is General Eisenhower, the pleasure is mine. Mr. Churchill, this is our plan. We start by attacking. Eisenhower and Churchill discuss strategy for an hour. Then Churchill addresses the troops. Churchill stood on top of a hill, his uniform from a war which he fought for the British before American troops. The British people, subjugated to the horrors of Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party, are very grateful to the sacrifices and how much you have served the British and how you will serve the world. The whole question of invading these captured lands, of course, powerfully affected by the fact that we have been, for a time being, in this island, incomparably more powerful military forces than we have at any other moment. But this is not the case. We shall not be content with a slow offensive or defensive war. We have our duty to our people. We have to reconstitute and build up the British forces and American forces once again under its gallant commander, General Eisenhower. All of this is in train. But in the interval, we must put our offenses in these islands in such a high state of organization that the fewest possible numbers will be required to give effective security and largest possible potential of an offensive effort that may be realized. On this, we are now engaged. 
I have myself the full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made, as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once again capable to reclaim our island home, to ride out the storm of the war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny if necessary for years, if necessary alone. At any rate, that is what we are going to try to do. That is the resolve of His Majesty's government, every man of them. That is the will of Parliament and of the nation. The British Empire and French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will give freedom to their, the dead on their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to their utmost strength. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen, or may not, or may fall into the grip of the Gaspato and the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall free our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, that this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then your empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, will already on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all the of its power and might, steps forth to rescue and the liberation of the old. A wild cheer erupted through the army. Eisenhower led the next day for them to fight on the beaches and on the landing grounds, and in the fields and in the streets, and on the hills of Manchester and of Leeds and Birmingham, and the Anglo-American army was unstoppable until they reached Cambridge. As they crossed the hills of the Chiltern, the European forces were taking off from London. French rebels took over a stretch of land from Brest to The Hague. The Russians took, retook St. Petersburg. The Nordic countries went into complete revolution in 1943. The Ottomans were advancing on the Balkans. The Russians in the fields of Eastern Europe entirely threatened the West. As they narrowed in on Frankfurt, the German army collapsed. With them, the Japanese and Indian armies went down too. As 1944 came to a close, President King and General Eisenhower were household names, and they were beloved throughout the world. Eisenhower was elected president in 1948, and at the expiration of the king's term. Europe was split into the United Kingdom, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Switzerland, Austria, the Netherlands, Belgium, Bavaria, Prussia, Hesse, Hanover, Poland, Czechia, Slovakia, Hungary, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, and Ukraine. Belarus, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. Adolf Hitler and other Nazi officials were executed. Through the 1950s and 1960s, America was a peaceful place. The whole world was her ally. Even so, the period where America was split into dozens of countries was still remembered. 
People remember the sacrifices in Bunker Hill, Saratoga, Yorktown, Fort McHenry, San Antonio de Valero, the Yucatan, San Diego, Sonora, and most of all in Britain and France, collectively known as the Alamos, after the legendary mission, although lost, that was valiantly defended by Jim Bowie, Davy Crockett, William B. Travis, and the like. The Alamo represented freedom, liberty, and justice, no matter the price, not just for Texans, not even just for Americans, but for the entire world. It represented humanity's resilience and the need for liberty and justice for all. In 1986, on the 150th anniversary of the fall in San Antonio de Valero, the Alamo, President Ronald Reagan dedicated it to be a national site of liberty, and a league group of other places that included the Philadelphia State House, Washington, D.C., Old North Church, and half a dozen others. The period of Pax Liberia continues into the present day, and Terra Libra is still running strong. This has been an episode of Imagine If, where we explored a possible way history may have ended up. I'm your host, Brody Burton. This podcast is a work of fiction. All people, places, and events mentioned are fictional or incidental. This content does not necessarily reflect the opinions of myself, any associated with the production of Imagine If, or any person mentioned. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, I would invite you to subscribe to Imagine If on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening now. Thank you.